So here we go. He is risen. He is risen. Amen. Now you can have a seat. Praise the Lord. If you have your Bibles, if you would, turn to the Gospel of John chapter 20. We're going to be looking at verses 19 through 29. If you need a Bible, these guys are up. They'd love to bring one right to your seat so you can follow along with us. John chapter 20, verses 19 through 29. You, I also want to make note, but you don't need to turn there. It's Mark's Gospel, chapter 14, verse 50, where it says, Then they all forsook him and fled. So we're going to look at a couple things here. And, and uh, so beginning with John chapter 20, verses 19 through 29. We read, Then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in the midst and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. So Jesus said to them again, Peace to you, as the Father has sent me, I also send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. Now Thomas, called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. The other disciples therefore said to him, We have seen the Lord. So he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the print of the nails, and put my finger into the print of the nails, and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. And after eight days, his disciples were again inside, and Thomas was with them. And Jesus came the doors being shut, and stood in the midst and said, Peace to you. Then he said to Thomas, Reach your finger here and look at my hands, and reach your hand here and put it into my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. And Thomas answered and said to him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. The title of my message this morning is, Come on back. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time together. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the account of your son rising from the dead. If this was not recorded in your word, we would have no account of this, Lord. We thank you for your word. Lord, your word has the power through your Holy Spirit to change our lives as we study it and dig into it, Lord. We praise you for your word. We praise you for this time together that we can celebrate the resurrection of your son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Lord, we pray if there's anyone here that is yet to surrender their heart and life to you. Lord, they're not born again today. They don't know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. Would you especially touch their heart this morning? They would see their need for a Savior and come to you today. Thank you for our time together, Lord. We commit it to you. We ask your blessing upon our children downstairs as they're being taught your word at the same time as we're being taught it upstairs. To you, Lord, be all the glory, honor, and praise. Bless this time together, we pray. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. A year ago, because of COVID, we had an online service for Easter. Never before done. I hated it. Just want to tell you, I hate it. It's great to be back live. We are online for those who couldn't make it. you know. But yeah, we're here. Praise the Lord. 
Perhaps some of you have been away for over a year due to the pandemic, and I want to say to you, welcome back, glad to have you. You know, we have a new word uh, today since you've been gone. It's called FOMO. It stands for fear of missing out. Its definition, anxiety that an exciting or interesting event may currently be happening elsewhere, often aroused by posts seen on social media. You know how that goes. Battery dies on their phone. It's, oh, no, I'm going to miss out. And who's going to like my post on Facebook? I wonder how many likes I got on Instagram. Oh, no. What if my friend Snapchatted me and, and, and I missed out something really cool? I need to charge my phone. They have FOMO. Okay, fear of missing out. Well, this morning we're going to look at this man named Thomas who probably ended up with FOMO for the rest of his life. Having missed Jesus' first encounter with his disciples after Jesus rose from the dead, Thomas, no doubt, would never let that happen again. Maybe you're here this morning and someone introduced you to Jesus long ago, but you've never placed your faith and trust in him. But now you're here today. Now you're here this morning. I would pray that you would not uh, leave here, that you would have some healthy FOMO in your life, that you'd come to know Jesus as Lord and Savior. Because you just cannot ignore the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. It changed human history. And because Jesus died and rose again, we have hope. We are, are like the little league guy when asked by a bystander, what's the score? And the little guy answered, we're losing 18 to nothing. The man said, I bet you're discouraged. The kid answered, why would I be discouraged? We haven't even batted yet. At this point in our text, the disciples, man, they were in a deep, dark hole. Spiritually speaking, they were down 18 to nothing. But soon, and very soon, they would be ahead. Though Jesus died and was in the tomb, and it looked grim, three days later, Jesus would rise and change everything. And that's why we are here this morning. That is why we are celebrating today. Jesus is alive. He died just like he said he would. Three days later, he rose just like he said he would. And that gives us hope. See, I don't know where you're at in your relationship with God this morning. You may be full of faith and spiritually strong. Everything may be going quite well. And this is a happy day for you. It's bright, sunny. It's a great holiday. If so, thank God for that. That is wonderful. Praise the Lord for that. But then again, that description may not fit you at all. Perhaps this morning you've come in and you feel far away from God and wondering how did you arrive at such a place like this? Yeah, the people looking from the outside in, everything might look pretty good, but you know deep down inside the real truth about yourself. Your spiritual life's in ruins. Your heart's torn with regret and you've said and done some things that you're now ashamed of. And you're wondering if you could ever come back to that relationship you once had. I'm here to tell you, come on back. Come on back. Because as we will see, Jesus comes to his disciples, welcomes them back. So to Jesus this morning, stands at the door of our hearts and he knocks. And if any man opens that door, he says, I will come in and dine with him and he with me. Don't just take my word on it. We're going to look at those that Jesus called back into this relationship with him. If you're taking notes, we're going to look at two things this morning. The saddened and the skeptic. First, the saddened. Well, that would be all of Jesus' disciples at this point, specifically Peter. You see, when Jesus died on the cross, that was the worst news any of his followers could have received. 
They thought Jesus was going to rule and reign right there in Jerusalem, that he would free them from the oppression of the Roman government and establish his kingdom on earth right then and there. But now, Jesus was dead. To the disciples, it was kind of like, you know, the final game of the World Series, bases loaded, you're the last at bat, and you strike out. Or standing there at the altar, you know, waiting for your bride to come through the back doors, and all of a sudden the doors open and she's gone. She's not there. She's split. Maybe that thing that you were hoping for so badly and counting on just fell through. It was horrible. Well, for Jesus' disciples, his death was heart-wrenching, devastating, horrible. In fact, one was so, or his disciples were so distraught, he went off and, and, and hung himself. And I'm sure there are several hours when these other guys, no doubt, felt like doing the same thing. I mean, imagine being one of Jesus' disciples and having to live with the guilt of abandoning Jesus when they should have stuck with him to the end. Because, you see, Jesus, he was there for them. When they needed food, Jesus miraculously, abundantly provided 5,000 people with food off of just a few fish and some loaves of bread. When they were on the ocean together and the storm arose, Jesus calmed the storm with just a word. Be still. And now instead of standing up for him, they abandoned him. They saw the Lord, their Lord, under attack. They watched as they saw this angry mob coming from the temple to arrest Jesus. And what made it worse, led by one of their own, Judas the betrayer. Jesus Jesus was suddenly surrounded by a rabid pack of, of Vicious religious pit bulls, frothing with with jealousy and and prejudice, he was in danger. If ever there was a time for the disciples to take a stand, this was it. But sadly and tragically and regrettably, none of the men who Jesus had taken under his wing dared to help Jesus shoulder his burden in his hour of need. Yeah, Peter did a little sword swinging, but he was a fisherman, not a swordsman, and he got an ear instead of a neck, and, and he got a strong rebuke from Jesus at the same time. Again, Mark sums it up very well in Mark 14:50. They all forsook him and fled. And trust me, this rejection was made worse by the boast they all uttered the, the night before. See, Jesus had warned his disciples that one of them was actually going to betray him. The others were going to desert him. John remembers it well. There in the upper room at dinner with Jesus, he and all the disciples, they declared their allegiance. We believe you came forth from God, he said. That's when Jesus said in John 16, 32, The hour is coming, yes, and has now come that you will be scattered, each to his own, and will leave me alone. See, Jesus knew their words were nothing more than hollow boasts. Of course, no one's boast that night was as haughty or self-confident and determined as were the words that rolled off the lips of impulsive Peter. In Matthew's account of the same story, chapter 26, verse 31, Jesus warned his disciples, All of you will be made to stumble because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I've been raised, I will go before you to Galilee. That's when Peter answered and said to him, Even if all are made to stumble because of you, I will never be made to stumble. And Jesus said to him, Assuredly I say to you that this night before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. What ominous words that Peter would have to live with. I bet every time you heard a rooster crow, Peter, we, we lived that very same night. In fact, I bet Peter learned to hate roosters at that point. Oh, those dumb birds, those birds. 
It was kind of reliving every bad decision you ever made in your life. And that usually happens about two in the morning when you're trying to sleep. It's like, oh, man. But know this, that it just wasn't Peter going through this. Again, Mark 14, 15 tells us they all forsook him and fled. Now, I do like Mark's gospel, that he adds another point that no other gospel mentions. Uh, in Mark fifteen fifty one. it says, Now a certain young man followed him, having a linen cloth thrown around his naked body. And the young man laid hold of him, and he left the linen cloth and fled from them naked. Now, most commentators think that that was Mark himself. They think that the upper room where Jesus met with his disciples probably belonged to Mark's family. And that night, this young Mark, may have followed Jesus and his disciples out to the Garden of Gethsemane. And when Jesus was arrested, Mark tried to follow him again. And this time he got a little too close to the mob. A couple of the soldiers grabbed him. He shakes himself loose in his robe. And now he's left naked and afraid running out into the night. They all fled. They all abandoned the Lord. And I can't imagine the guilt and the shame they were experiencing at that moment. You know, between Thursday night and Sunday morning, we have no record of what the 10 out of the 12 disciples were doing. We're not sure. And since the disciples, most of the disciples wrote the Gospels, that they probably deliberately left some things out. No one likes to bring up their own failures. We have only record of Peter and Judas. In Luke 22, 62, we're told Peter went out and wept bitterly. And of Judas, we're told he threw down the silver pieces in the temple and they parted and went and hanged himself. So again, I imagine the rest of the disciples were somewhere in between. I mean, think about the tears these grown men shed, the shame they suffered, the enormous guilt they were living with. At this point, the disciples probably thought all was lost. No hope. Could we ever be brought back into that relationship with Jesus that we once had? They were saddened. But soon, everything would change. For by Sunday evening, everybody but Judas, who had hung himself already, and Thomas were back in the upper room. Look now at, verses, at verse 19. Then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled, for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in the midst and said to them, Peace be with you. I love this. You can say Jesus was the first person to utilize a keyless entry. Just right in there. I mean, he didn't need a doorknob. He didn't need keys or hinges or push plates in a room. You see, the door of death couldn't hold Jesus in, and the door of failure couldn't keep Jesus out. The risen Lord appeared to men who had locked themselves behind closed doors. These were men not brimming with faith, praying to heaven with their doors wide open. Rather, Jesus appeared to the to frightened, to the fearful, naked, and nameless disciples. But none of that mattered. Jesus would fix them. Jesus took them all back. And you've got to love the first words that Jesus says to them. He says in verse 9, 19, Peace be with you. Now, I don't know about you, and I don't know for sure, but if that had been me appearing to the disciples, I think I would have started with my first words with uh, maybe a few I told you so's, or maybe a couple of how could you's, or several you should have listened to me's. Certainly I would have looked at Peter square in the eyes and said, cock-a-doodle-doo. I mean, come on, I don't know. But not Jesus. He took them all back without a receipt, without the original packaging. Even if the goods were damaged, if the shoes had been worn, Jesus had a better return policy than Sam's Club. And they got a good one. So the first statement out of Jesus' mouth to his shame-faced disciples are, peace be with you. 
In essence, he's saying, welcome back. And then he gives them three things to help them keep going, to persevere, to carry on. He gives them his peace, he gives them purpose, and he gives them power. Jesus in verse 19 and verse 21 said, peace be with you again, peace to you. Could you imagine what his disciples felt at that greeting? They went from feeling lower than dirt to being on top of the world. When he said, peace be with you, suddenly the disciples were engulfed in a a tidal wave of relief and pardon and contentment and peace and love. Listen, Christ can offer peace like you've never known. He provides peace that comes only from a right relationship with Jesus Christ. Yeah, these disciples were worried, confused, frustrated, heartbroken, afraid and upset, but the presence of Jesus brought them all peace. And then, and that's when Jesus began to rebuild their shattered faith. Verse 20, he says, When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. He proved to them he's real. He, he, he went to work dispelling their doubts, freeing them from fear, energizing them for the battles to come. See, Jesus not only gave them peace, but he also gave them purpose. He says to them in verse 21, Peace to you as a father, I send me, I also send you. So not only peace, but he gave them purpose. See, now that Christ has been crucified and resurrected, he had a task, he had an assignment for his followers. He commissioned them to go in all the world and preach the gospel, to do what Jesus did when he was upon the earth. In other words, he gave them peace and a purpose and a commission. And this group of men, well, they turned the world upside down with the gospel of Jesus Christ. It just took, just took 50 days for them to be turned in from wimps to witnesses. Read the first couple of chapters in the book of Acts and you'll find these same men who are hiding behind closed doors, boldly walking through open doors in Acts chapter 2. Cowards became courageous. How? Well, they couldn't do it in their own strength. They needed power. And that's what Jesus also gave them. Number three, power. Verse 22 says, And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. So in this one powerful powerful act, Christ provided the peace, the purpose, and the power they needed to fulfill his commission, their task. He provided them with such power that they were able to preach and teach about the forgiveness of sin and salvation through Jesus Christ. That's what verse 23 says. He says, if you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. In other words, you now as a believer have the privilege to tell people if they confess their sins, God is faithful and just to forgive their sins and cleanse them of all unrighteousness. They can be forgiven. But if they don't confess, if they don't turn from their sin, then the wages of sin is death, complete separation from God. It's a choice. We have that privilege as Jesus' disciples, as his, his children, to share the truth of the gospel, the good news. What an awesome encounter with Christ. The disciples, they, they were radically and, and eternally changed as a result of it. They were transformed from fear to courage, from sorrow to joy, from hopelessness to purpose. Jesus answered their questions. He removed their doubts, eased their fears, filled them with power all in one night. And I can say, he can do the same thing for you this morning. Jesus specializes in restoration. If you've been away from the Lord, he says to you, come on back. I have peace for you. I have purpose for your life and the power to accomplish it. 
But here's the problem. Not every one of Jesus' disciples were there in this room to experience this. And this brings us to our second point. Number one, the saddened. Number two, the skeptic. Look at verse 24. Now Thomas called the twin. One of the twelve was not with them when Jesus came. The other disciples therefore said to him, We have seen the Lord. So he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the print of the nails, and put my finger into the print of the nails, and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. See, Thomas here is very skeptical. Now, some have labeled him the doubter, you know, doubting Thomas. I think that's a bad label for him. I think there's a lot of bad labels out there. I I read of a few. One, on on a child Superman costume, it says this, wearing of this garment does not enable you to fly. Maybe a kid thought that one time. How about this one? Uh, in a microwave oven manual. Do not use for drying pets. Probably not a good thing. <laughs> On a bag of Fritos. You could be a winner. No purchase necessary. Details inside a bag. So just open it up in the store. You can, I guess. On a bar of dial soap. Directions. Use like regular soap. <laughs> My favorite one is the packaging for an electric iron. Do not iron clothes on body. Like that's been a problem before? I, I, I don't know. See, just as those labels are pretty bad, I think the one we hung on Thomas is a bad label. Instead of labeling him a doubter, I think the better label for him would be Thomas the skeptic. After all, Thomas did not ask for a, a special revelation. He simply asked for the same proof the other disciples got for themselves. See, skepticism isn't a necessarily a bad thing. God loves skeptics too. The difference is God wants to turn those skeptics into believers. And there's a big difference between skepticism and unbelief. Skepticism can't believe. Unbelief won't believe. Skepticism is is honesty. Unbelief is outright stubbornness. Skepticism is looking for light. Unbelief is content with the darkness. You see, a non-believer has no intention of changing or believing, and they'll make all these excuses why they won't come to the Lord. It's interesting to me that if Jesus were to appear and ask a, a, a non-believer, a person to come to faith, who have no, no intent to come to the Lord, I would imagine they would try to use the same old familiar excuses, though it doesn't work very well when you're standing right in front of Jesus. Could you imagine someone standing, staring into the eyes of Jesus and saying, well, I would believe there's... there's Way too many hypocrites in the church. I mean, it wouldn't fly. Jesus would say, that's not the question I asked you. Why wouldn't you put your faith and trust in me? Let me forgive you for sin. I didn't say anything about anybody else. Well, I was married once and my marriage ended in divorce and I I blame you for it. You couldn't say that. You wouldn't say that. Their excuses wouldn't hold water if you're standing right in front of Jesus himself. Yet some would still not believe. That's unbelief. That's not skepticism. Larry King, maybe you remember him of talk show fame, died this past January at 87 years old. He interviewed many, many people over his career. The gospel had been shared to him many, many times. Four years before he died, he started taking, he started taking four human growth hormone pills every day in an attempt to delay the inevitable. At that point, he arranged for his body to be frozen until doctors can come up with a cure for what would kill him. I don't think he ever went through with it, but he admitted in an interview to to cryogenics, he says, it's nuts, but he said this, and I quote, at least it gives me a shred of hope, and we all need hope. Life is impossible without hope. 
a year before he died, sadly he had a, an interview and he said this, and I quote, I don't believe in the Lord. And he blamed the many religious figures he interviewed over the years and says, quote, they never had the answers that I sought. For example, explain to me the Holocaust, end quote. Problem is, Larry, you're asking the wrong questions. Uh, you know, uh, though I know personally those that, that witnessed to Larry King, he died without hope. He died without Jesus. He never asked, what must I do to be saved? The famed atheist Christopher Hitchens once, once challenged to read the words of Jesus in John eleven twenty five and 26. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. At that time, Hitchens was suffering from cancer. Someone asked him what he thought of those words. In a moment of candor, Hitchens commented, I'll admit that they are not without appeal to a dying man. That's why Jesus rose from the dead remains mankind's greatest hope. Jesus did what no one else has done. He stared at death in the face and conquered it. And he promises everyone eternal life to those who trust in him. But the problem is, even when confronted with the evidence to refute their unbelief, people will still reject it anyway, not because they're skeptical, but because they simply do not want to believe. And Jesus said they love the darkness rather than light. But then there are those skeptics like Thomas here, after being presented with the facts that actually may change. And that's because they have heartfelt questions about God and His Word, and there's nothing wrong with that. I like Thomas because he, he spoke his mind. Jesus said to his disciples in John 14, 1-6, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am there you may be also. And where I go you know, and the way you know. And you can all picture the disciples all around, kind of shaking their heads, you know. Okay, yeah, we're in agreement, but not having a clue what Jesus was talking about. Yet none of them wanted to look like the other didn't know what Jesus was talking about. And so no one wanted to be the person to say, excuse me, we don't know what you're talking about. No one but Thomas. John fourteen five says that Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you're going, and how can we know the way? I love that. Thomas says, I have no idea what you're talking about. Explain it to me. He wasn't embarrassed to say what he believed. He was honest. And then Jesus said one of the greatest truths found in all of Scripture, John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. Later on, it was Thomas again, who in John chapter 11, when Jesus said he's going to go to Jerusalem, and he's going to die. And the other disciples rejected what Jesus said. It was Thomas who said without an ounce of doubt, well, let's all go to Jerusalem and die then with them. I mean, he was that type of guy. He was willing to lay down his life for Christ. God help us to have an honest faith. Thomas had a number of great virtues. He, was, he would absolutely refuse to say he understood something when he didn't understand it. He would not say that he believed something when he really didn't believe. And when he said he believed, he really believes it. And we'll see that in a moment. Yeah, he was a skeptical man, more hesitant and altogether different type of person than perhaps the rest of the disciples. Yet Jesus called out the Satan and he's going to call out the skeptic. Yeah, the Lord could have written off people like that. The Lord could say, hey, you're, you're discouraged, you're doubting, sad and skeptical, forget you. I'll go find somebody else. Jesus is not like that. He's interested in each individual. 
And even though Thomas was skeptical, he was still a believer. And even though the other disciples were discouraged and sad in their heart, were still for the Lord. And listen, Jesus will always reveal himself to true seekers. It's also interesting to point out that, uh, that we'll see in a moment, and that is that Jesus did not reveal himself to Thomas until he was with the other believers. And I do believe that God will come to us in a special way when we gather together as believers. You can't be a Han Solo Christian, okay? I heard recently, that's a joke from Star Wars, but, but okay. Different culture. I heard recently one description of those who only go to church occasionally. They're called CEOs. Christmas and Easter only. Or as one person put it, many people attend church at least three times in their life. When they are hatched, when they are matched, and when they are dispatched. The first time they throw water, the second time they throw rice, and the third time they throw dirt. We miss out on so much when we don't gather together with God's people. It's like this story about a man and wife. They're getting ready to go to church one Sunday morning. And the wife was ready to walk out the door when she noticed her husband hadn't even lifted a finger to get himself ready. So she said, why aren't you getting ready for church? He said, because I don't want to go. She said, do you have any reasons? He said, yeah, I have three reasons. Number one, the congregation is cold. Number two, no one likes me. Number three, I don't want to go. The wife wisely replied, well, honey, I have three reasons why you should go. Number one, the congregation is warm. Number two, a few people do like you. And number three, you're the pastor. You need to get dressed and let's go. Not a true story, okay? It wasn't me. I like to come to church. Folks, if anything this pandemic has shown us is that we need each other. We need to meet. We need to gather together. We need to obey God's word when he says in Hebrews 10.25, Let us not forsake the assembling of ourselves together as in the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much more as you see the day approaching. And I do believe the day is approaching when the Lord's going to return. I don't know if you saw this or not, but yesterday's date, 4, 3, 2, 1. I thought, maybe that could be the countdown. And the rapture of the church will happen on Easter Sunday. Maybe even, as I said before, right now, you know. Wouldn't it be great to be raptured as a church on Easter Sunday? My, my point is when we as Christians meet together, God manifests His presence in a unique and wonderful and special way. Jesus said in Matthew eighteen twenty, For where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there in the midst of them. You know, Thomas... He missed out on that first meeting. Not only Thomas, but we miss out when we don't gather together as a church. Listen, Thomas, he missed peace. Twice Jesus said, peace be unto you. And Thomas missed that both times because he wasn't there. And missing church, you know, does not help your peace. If anything, it gives you more unrest. Thomas also missed proof. You know, Jesus showed his disciples in verse 20, his hands and his side. Thomas missed out. In the same way, by staying away from church, you'll miss out on that strengthening of your faith. Number three, Thomas missed pleasure. Verse 20 says that the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. You know, those that, that stay away from church, they, they, they miss out of that joy. Psalm 122.1 says, I was glad when they said to me, let us go into the house of the Lord. Psalm 133.1, behold how good and how pleasant it is for the brethren to dwell together in unity. Fourth, they missed 
purpose. Thomas missed purpose. Verse 21, Jesus said, As the Father sent me, I also send you. Those who miss church miss out opportunities to serve the Lord. Finally, Thomas missed power. Jesus gave the disciples power when he gave them the, the assignment, but Thomas lacked that power. Thomas missed it out because he was not gathered together with the others at that time. You know, and the other disciples, they let him know it. Verse 25, when we read the disciples saying to Thomas, we have seen the Lord. You know, in the original language, it implies that they kept on telling him this. Hey, Thomas, we've seen the Lord. Tom, we saw the Lord. Where were you? Huh? 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 We saw the Lord. Hey, Thomas, guess what? We saw the Lord. You can, I can hear them doing this over and over and over again. Where were you? Let me say this. There's nothing wrong with reaching out to people you haven't seen for a while and inviting them back to church. Give them a call. Share with them what the Lord is doing in your life. Welcome them back to church as these disciples did. And the next time they got together, you bet Thomas was there. Like I said, from this point on, he was going to have FOMO for the rest of his life. Fear of missing out. And I'm sure he regretted those words. Unless I see in his hands the print of the nails and put my finger into the print of the nails and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. Again, he's just a brutally honest type of guy. And I think he was a really brave man. Because, you know, when all these disciples, the first appearance of Jesus, they're in the room, they're fearful, they're afraid. Where was Thomas? You know, I think he was outside going, I don't care what they do to me. Now let them kill me. Jesus is gone, I don't care. But notice the next time they were together, Thomas was there. He may have been a skeptic, but he wasn't a fool. Man, he says, if Jesus is coming back, I do not want to miss out next time. And so there's Thomas in the upper room. Jesus shows up. Look at verse 26 to 28. And after eight days, his disciples were again inside and Thomas with them. And Jesus came, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst and said, Peace to you. Then he said to Thomas, reach your finger here and look at my hands and reach your hand here and put it into my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. And Thomas answered and said to him, my Lord and my God. How easily Jesus could have rebuked Thomas. Thomas, what is your problem? I won't believe unless I see. Yeah, I mean, let's all go to Jerusalem and die. He could have just started rebuking him. I'm so glad that's not the way Jesus welcomed him back. He welcomed him back with love and compassion and forgiveness and open arms. He says to Thomas, I heard what you said, Thomas. Reach your, look at my fingers, look at my hands. Reach your hand, put it at my side. You know, that's a reminder that Christ is the unseen listener to every conversation. I don't think that, that Thomas thought that, that what came from his lips would write to the Lord's ears when he said, I can't believe Christ unless I see him here and put my hand on his side. But Jesus appeared and said, Here, Tom, reach your hand here, put it in my side. But Thomas had seen all that he needed to see. Personally, I don't think Thomas touched Jesus. I think Thomas fell flat on his face and worshipped the Lord. Listen, Thomas wasn't a non-believer. He just had some legitimate skepticism, healthy skepticism, I might add, that was immediately transformed into belief when he was presented with the facts. And that's why Thomas would say in verse 28, My Lord and my God. Maybe up until this point, maybe Jesus was just his, his hero or a great role model, maybe a prophet or a messenger from God, but maybe now for the very first time, Thomas is grasping who Jesus really was. Jesus said to him, Do not be unbelieving, but believing. And Thomas answered and said, My Lord and my God. 
There are those who say, well, Jesus never claimed to be God. Well, if that's the case, then why didn't Jesus rebuke Thomas right there and then for calling him God? Why didn't Jesus say, well, don't, don't call me God. I'm not God. No, because Jesus is God and, and was God. Thomas discovered it. He said, my Lord and my God. See, it's not enough just to acknowledge Jesus is Lord or that Jesus is God. There has to come a moment in your life when you say, my Lord, my God, when you embrace Him as your own. So my question to you this morning, is He your Lord and your God? Is He your Savior? I want to close with this. Jesus says in verse 29, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Those words are for you. Those words are for me. How will you respond? Thomas was ready. Thomas was ready to follow him because he had met him. Christ had come to him in a way that he could understand. Some of you may be skeptical by nature, standoffish, unsure. Maybe you haven't been in church in a number of years. I don't know what's kept you away. Maybe something happened in your life that devastated you. Maybe somehow you feel like the disciples did and somehow you let the Lord down years ago and you kind of just been staying away. Maybe you were disillusioned with the pastor or with the church or with some Christians that you knew or sort of kind of washed your hands of the whole thing. Maybe it was COVID that has kept you away, but in the process you've walked away from the Lord and now your life is emptier than it's ever been. I say to you this morning, come on back. Jesus welcomes you with open arms and says, I love you so much. Look at what I've done for you. Look at my hands. Look at my side, my feet. Don't be like Thomas and isolate yourself from God's people. Don't try to go out and work it out on your own. Don't let past failures keep you from coming to Christ today. Do you really think that the disciples' failures came as a surprise to the Lord? Of course not. Do you think that your failures come as a surprise to the Lord? Absolutely not. If you need a second chance from God today, then ask Him to forgive your sins, your failures, your difference, your hard heart. Turn from the path that you're on and come back to Jesus Christ. You will not be disappointed. God will give you peace, He'll give you purpose, and He'll give you power. Do you know that every one of the disciples minus Judas that was in that upper room turned the world upside down with the gospel of Jesus Christ? As for Thomas, tradition has it that the disciple that started out so skeptical through peace, purpose, and power reached thousands upon thousands with the gospel of Jesus Christ. According to tradition in the Fox's Book of Martyrs, after this account in the upper room, after Jesus descended into heaven with the promise of his return, Thomas got busy. Thomas left Jerusalem, traveled north and east from Israel. He went through Babylon, modern-day Iraq, and then as far south as India. Portuguese mariners and explorers from the 16th century reported evidence of Thomas's ministry, including a sizable band of believers known as the St. Thomas Christians. Tradition has it that Thomas was martyred by Hindu priests in India who envied his success and rejected his message. Thomas was speared to death and the location of his tomb can still be visited in Meliapur, India. But Thomas is no longer in that tomb. I'm sure he heard the word from Jesus as he entered into heaven. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of the Lord. Listen, as we close this morning, the tomb of Jesus is still empty. Jesus lives. And he reaches out to you this morning to come back to him or to come to him for the first time. To have your sin forgiven, that guilt taken away, that shame taken away. Listen, we've all let him down. 
We've all fallen short, but Jesus wants to give you new life and hope, peace, purpose, and power. You know, I love how John closes out his gospel with these words in John twenty thirty. And truly, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life, by believing you may have life in his name. That's an invitation that he's given to all of us this morning. And I want to give it to you, pass it on to you, to be forgiven of your sin, all the stupid things you've done, all the wrong things you've done, all the mistakes. The slate can be wiped clean because of what Jesus did at Calvary. And then Christ will come in. He'll take residence in your life, in your heart. He'll give you peace, purpose, and power. You see, the same Jesus that died of the bloody death on the Roman cross and bodily resurrected from the dead three days later is here right now in this room. And he's standing at the door of your heart and he's knocking and he's saying, if you hear my voice, open that door, I'll come into your life. If that's your desire, if you want to come to, come to Christ today, respond to him as we close in prayer. If you need to rededicate your life to Christ this morning, to come back to him, he's ready for you with open arms. Maybe you're not backslidden, but maybe you're really not on fire for the Lord. Now is the time to come back. Ask the Lord for a refilling of His Holy Spirit in your life to give you that that peace, that purpose, and that power. I want to give you that opportunity. Let's pray together. Father, we thank You for Your love and grace. We thank You, Lord, that You've said, Jesus, that that, uh, all those who come to Me, I will no ways cast out. Lord, that we come to You this morning and we pray, Lord, that if there's anyone here that doesn't know you, that they would make that commitment to you this morning, to know you as Lord and as Savior. While our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, is there anyone here that has never made a commitment to follow Christ? First time you've never made a commitment to follow Christ, but you want to give your life to Him this morning. If that is you, would you raise your hand so I could pray for you this morning? First time commitment to Christ. You're tired of living with the guilt and the shame and the past mistake. You want a clean slate. You want to be born again today. Just raise your hand so I can pray for you this morning. Maybe you're here this morning and and you recognize that you've walked away from the Lord. You haven't been following Him the way that you should. You know Him, but you've backslidden. Maybe today is the day that you want to recommit your life to the Lord. If that's you, would you raise your hand so I could pray for you? Finally, the third category. Maybe you're not backslidden, but you're really not on fire for the Lord. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. We're just going to pray, Lord, forgive us. Lord, help us to come back to you this morning. Fill us with your Holy Spirit. Lord, empower us to be that witness, Lord, to not just uh, those around us, but Lord, as far as you would take us as we lead, as we follow your lead with the purpose that you have for our lives. Lord, help us to glorify you this day and every day of our lives. We thank you, Lord, for your love towards us. We thank you for the forgiveness of our sins. Jesus, thank you that you are alive, Lord, that you've called us, that we are yours. Holy Spirit, thank you for your peace and comfort that you give us. Thank you for your word, God. Thank you for this time together. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said...
Amen. All right, let's all stand and we'll do one last song together.
couch be rolled back as a scroll. The trump shall resound and the Lord shall descend even so it is well with my soul it is well with my like this last verse, and the Lord hastes the day when their faith shall be sight, the clouds be rolled back as the scroll, the trump shall resound, and the Lord shall descend, even so it is well with my soul. Today would be a great day for the Lord return, amen? Maybe now, let's give the Lord a hand, another hand for the Lord. Praise Him, God bless you, may you have a great Resurrection Sunday. We invite you again back next week as we continue our study through the book of Revelation. God bless you guys. Have a great week.